Well, hello. Thanks for joining us. It is, you know, maybe eight or nine weeks into Anything But Ordinary. It just keeps going. It is, you know, a long family tree, and we're even condensing it some. And this last week, uh, Barry preached about Joseph and his brothers who sold him into slavery. And so you can hear the scripture and the message. And if you want, um, there'll be a note in the podcast description, if you've already listened, where you can jump ahead to hear some reflection. Genesis 37, verses 1 through 4 and 12 through 28. I invite you to listen. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, where his father was an immigrant. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. Joseph was 17 years old and tended the flock with his brothers. While he was helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, Joseph told their father unflattering things about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made for him a long robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. Joseph's brothers went to tend their father's flocks near Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brothers tending the sheep near Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said, I'm ready. Jacob said to him, go, find out how your brothers are and how the flock is and report back to me. So Jacob sent him from the Hebron Valley. When he approached Shechem, a man found him wandering in the field and asked him, what are you looking for? Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. Tell me, where are they tending the sheep? The man said, they have left here. I heard them saying, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw Joseph in the distance before he got close to them, and they plotted to kill him. The brothers said to each other, here comes the big dreamer. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns, and we'll say a wild animal devoured him. Then we will see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard what they said, he saved him from them, telling them, let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, don't spill his blood. Throw him into this desert cistern but don't lay a hand on him. He intended to save Joseph from them and take him back to his father. When Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's long robe, took him and threw him into the cistern, an empty cistern with no water in it. When they sat down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with camels carrying sweet resin, medicinal resin and fragrant resin on their way down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and hide his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not harm him because he is our brother. He's family. His brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, 
Well, somebody took my clicker. Talk among yourselves for a second. Because you would have been disappointed, right? Well, good morning. You got that scripture, right? It's all down in your mind. We have been doing this amazing series that uh, Jess and I are kind of calling out on the side as the, uh, the sermon series that has no end. Um, I am, well, I have the clicker. Let's see if it's going to, there we go. So our series is really called Anything But Ordinary. It's really been a series about family. Abraham and Sarah finally had a kid, Isaac, in accordance with God's promise to them. But there was also this other kid, Ishmael, son of Abraham, but born to his wife's slave, Hagar. Yeah, the family tree has that branch. Isaac and Rebekah gave birth to twins, Jacob and Esau, who were struggling big time in the womb. God explained that two nations were struggling within her. That seemed to make it much easier seemed to make it much easier. But Jacob and Esau each wanted out first so that the birthright belonging to the firstborn would be Esau's. Jacob was second out of the womb, holding on to Esau's heel. Now Esau was a, that was kind of a manly man who was an expert hunter. And Jacob was kind of a mama's boy who stayed home, cooked, and thought great thoughts. One late afternoon, Jacob was cooking up some red stuff, lentil stew. And Esau came in saying he was hungry, as he always was. was. And he told Esau to give him some of that red stuff. And Jacob said he would, as long as Esau gave him his birthright. This would have been a really good stew. <laughs> Done. Years went on, and Dad, Isaac, was getting old and had terrible eyesight. Jacob knew that Isaac had to bless the one who would inherit the promise, and Mom, Rebecca, knew that as well. And Rebecca wanted Jacob to inherit. So after Jacob made an amazing meal for the old man, Mom, Rebecca, helped Jacob get all spiffy, dressed up in a goat skin, and go in to his father for the blessing. And because Esau was hairy, when Isaac put his hand of blessing on the hands and neck of Isaac, he was sure he was offering the patriarchal blessing to Esau when he felt all that goat hair. Wrong. Jacob gets the blessing, runs off to his relative Laban, is tricked into working seven years to marry the wrong daughter, then another seven for the one he really loved. Ah, uh, family. <laughs> Leah, Leah, his first wife, bore four sons, Bilhah and Zilpah, each four children, and then Rachel. The 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. The baby Joseph is Jacob's favorite because he is the child of Rachel, whom he really loved. Family, family, if you think your family is complicated, you're right, because families are. And this may make us feel a little bit better about our own families. So in our text for today, Joseph is cutting his teeth in the family by learning to shepherd sheep. 
The biblical text makes it clear that Joseph differentiates between his brothers based on their mothers. So while Jacob has children by the servant women Bilhah and Zilpah, those children were separated out, if not strictly by Joseph, then by the tradition of the book of Genesis. Joseph seems to be a bit more interested in other people's business than in being a young shepherd. So Joseph collects and talks trash on those other sons and tells his father all about them. Oh, family drama. And who wouldn't like a brother like that, really? <laughs> Joseph is 17 years old. 17. And he's supposed to be learning the family trade, but he's not out shepherding with the others. He's running errands for dad. There's a whole lot of family favoritism going on here. As I was looking back on when I had preached this text before, a number of years ago, Jim Loomis, a, uh, a member of this church, now moved, um, but a, a therapist and social worker, Jim helped me with the text from the perspective of, that, of a therapist. He said, in my counseling practice, I have often seen the problem of a parent showing favoritism to one child over the others, which creates a lot of resentment and a lot of dissension among the kids. I also seem to recall that not only did Jacob favor Joseph because Jacob was old when Joseph was born, but finally, finally, here was the child from the woman that Jacob really loved and got cheated out of in the first place. I've often seen the case where the favorite child milks this for all it's worth, Jim said, and later on, he or she suffers the consequences of this. And the text goes on. So it seems that other brothers are separated out from Jacob as some are tending family flocks near Shechem. Rather than sending Joseph to deepen his skills as a shepherd, dad, Jacob, now Israel, sends Joseph to check up on the other boys and give a report back. Joseph is given a very high level of trust by his father, right? He loves Jacob most because he was the child by Rachel whom he really loved. He loved him so much that in 3711, he gives him a special coat, a coat of many colors or a long coat, depending on the translation of the Hebrew. So what's up with this dad? The gift of the colorful long coat only builds the ire of the siblings, further reminding them that Joseph is a special little snowflake. <laughs> and the story is not nearly over yet. See, earlier in the text, Joseph had dreams that involved the brothers, and the brothers did not like that one bit. Rather than struggling, strugg strugg rather than strugg shrugging them off and humoring Joseph, they just plotted to kill him. <laughs> it's a family story. Nice. Look, the plot to kill Joseph is really a storyline mechanism to get rid of the issue. We may not literally kill family members, I hope, but we certainly do find ways to kill or silence issues in our family lives, right? My family, many of your families, Many families everywhere bury the issues and keep the tensions below the surface rather than talk about what's really going on. Now, Reuben is the eldest son of Jacob, Israel, birthed by Jacob's first wife, Leah. He would have had the birthright of the firstborn and knew that he simply needed to play his cards right. He needed to behave, and whatever Israel had would be divided first to him. Reuben steps in to save Joseph but he does not stand up to the others. 
it's a family dynamic that you may know a little bit from your own experience. It's the dynamic of smoothing over, taking the path of least resistance while not getting anyone what is wanted or what is needed. The peacemaker is a typical role for a member of the family, a role that tends to make things momentarily better, but does little to move forward understanding and reconciliation. That takes the consent and involvement of all involved, and that doesn't happen. Jacob, as patriarch, has created a wound and has allowed it to fester. Too many families would rather live with the festering than be vulnerable and actually take the risk of hard conversations where you might find reconciliation. Of course, the irony of the text is that Joseph is in fact saved by the happen chance passing of the relatives of Ishmael, the child of Abraham, born to the maidservant Hagar. It's <gasps> a lot, right? Ishmael, in effect, saves the one who will ultimately be responsible for saving the promise that Israel would be a great nation, a great people. Add to that the irony that Ishmael was born to a slave and is bringing Joseph into slavery. That Judah, another son of Leah, offers up the deal as a mark that foreshadows the point at which the nation, the monarchy, is divided into north and south, into Israel and Judah. Judah may be all about family here, but he is strategic in his thinking. The brothers conjure up a way to profit from the conflict in their family dynamics. You've probably never seen that, but it happens. Family members that want in on the end of life property decisions, for instance. The arm wrestling and family competition around who should be making, deci making decisions. The pettiness that can accompany stressors of feeling less than another family member, feeling less loved. Judah tries to find a way out of the mess by wheeling and dealing. Never works in family systems because, again, it does not deal with the heart of the issues. Are you seeing anything in your own experience here? Never works because it does not go deep enough. The stressors, the conflicts are still on the table, or better, they're really under the table. As Jim Loomis said years ago, I've never seen it work. First of all, what I've seen is that sometimes the wronged children won't, get low, won't let go of being wronged because they profit from it also, just like the favored child profits from his or her status. Also, it doesn't really deal with the underlying issue, which is that Jacob should have apologized to his older sons and treated all of the kids equitably, and the kids needed to talk about it, bury their haughtiness and jealousy, and get on with life. They needed to especially get on the problem of taking care of dad as he gets older and less able to care for himself, and again, none of us have any experience with that. Also, I've seen a lot of cases where dad never gets it never gets it. And sometimes dad finally figures it out. And in this case with Jacob, maybe he remembers that he set himself up for this when he cheated his brother out of his birthright. But even if dad gets it, dad doesn't seem to be able to fix it because it's gone on too long and now it's bred into the very DNA of the family. This is how we do it when we get together. And dad takes this terrible regret to his grave. It always makes me wonder how the kids will play out in their own families. You know, that whole thing about the signs of the fathers being remembered to the third and the fourth generations. And some of us know how it gets played out. Indeed, 
family systems, like all systems, are best at maintaining themselves. Even if the systems are unhealthy, even if they are dangerous, until there's a decided break in the service, in the, in the system, until someone calls a halt and says, enough, we've got to talk this through. Until Jacob sees what is going on and, and his role in starting the whole thing, until siblings come together to talk it through, to confess, to reconcile, to forgive, none of it's easy. And, at the, at the, and that is the very point. None of it is easy. The text we have been looking at in this Anything But Ordinary series without an end point us to the complications human beings create when we step outside of faithful living, where love and justice and righteousness are cornerstones of all life, including and particularly family life. This week, because we are all parts of family, I think, I invite us to take stock of our familial relationships. Where are there wounds that have not been healed in your families? Where are there wounds that have been only bandaged, covered up but not really healed? Or where are there scars from the past that are carried as not, not terribly subtle reminders of what you've been through? What conversations still need to happen in your family? What requests for forgiveness? need to occur? And what, following forgiveness, what reconciliation has to happen? What new ways of being family might emerge for you? As we move to communion, I remind us that Jesus was gathered with closest of friends. They were family, and they were not perfect. They did not do all the talking in all the right ways. They played off each other with some frequency, some denied, some even betrayed, and still they gathered. Still they gathered at the table. And so family, I invite us to gather at the table. Okay, Barry. Okay, Jess. <laughs> what did you want us, uh, what nugget did you... Well, what I really wanted us to leave with was the sense that we are all part of uh, families that have systems and dynamics, and we each play roles in the family systems. I don't know anyone who hasn't uh, been through a place of struggle within their own family. It may not be the to the extent of, uh, <laughs> of our older siblings throwing us into slavery. But um, there, are, there are things that go on in families. Mm -hmm. um, some of those hijinks, uh, it's easy for us to think that we have, we, there's nothing we can do about it or that we are not involved or even worse, we are not to blame. The systems require all of us to play our parts in the systems. And that, I've run into that in time. We were really good for uh, messing with that, understanding that, probably being bring people to a place where they raise some questions outside of outside of worship I think well so why did you decide to go that route with this text when in reality we probably could have picked any to talk about family systems and our and our need to be thoughtful about it oh because this one's so absurd <laughs> uh, I mean the story is is so far removed from where most of us are and I think it's mm. easy for us to 
take this very archaic story and say, well, that was really weird. Um, in reality, we're all pretty weird, and our stories are strange in their own right. So to be able to take Joseph and say, there's here's some things, here are some things that were going on in this family system that are not that far removed from ours. Mm-hmm. You know, something I really appreciated, um, you know, I know this work uh, started in the field of psychology and counseling with family systems, but you can really extend the family systems model to almost every community you're a part of. And I think that's an interesting and helpful um, application for us who, you know, might have sorted out, uh, done some work on ourselves regarding our familial relationships, but want to think through our workplaces or our neighborhoods or it's really I think sometimes people think it's just limited to family Um, it really goes beyond that and the family you know is the first place we form any identity or lack thereof in some capacity you know so I think it's an interesting place to start and we kind of see that with Joseph and the identity that's kind of placed on him in this particular that he lives into and loves. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me, um, you're supposed to say yes and. <laughs> yes and. So, be be so, my improv partner. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, clearly, and we do we do family talk uh, a lot. We even here in corporate uh, America now. That mm, mm-hmm. We're community, we're family. Um, I just watched a dystopian movie the other night uh, called The Circle with Tom Hanks and Watson, and uh, it's a it's about a Apple-like or Google-like company that uh, finds ways to really take the model and move it out into the world. But they're they're all always talking about the family, and the family has secrets. The family has to has to uphold uh, the values, um, and even when they even when you stand outside of it, when we talk about church as family, it's problematic uh, in the same way. Is that mm-hmm. because? When I was born into family, um, I'm told very early on that I'm a part of family, and here's what is expected of you as part of family. Mm-hmm. Church becomes problematic in that way because people are coming in over time, and um, it, it's far too easy for folks that have been around longer to um, to not see newer people as a part of a family until they've been around for a while. Mm-hmm. So, yes. If someone wanted to start, you know, you you kind of gave a pretty broad, like, hey, I'd like you to be thinking about your family and your family systems. But if someone needed you to distill that into, like, one, like, where's the starting point? What is a good first homework assignment if someone finds themselves drawn to this kind of inner and outer work for you? I would would do some writing about about the place. I would do some writing first about what, what do you celebrate and what do you, what concerns you about your family, and then what role do you play in your family? Yeah, I was thinking about that too, and it made me think about um, belonging. Where do I belong? Because uh, some of us don't feel like we belong with our family of origin. Yes. Um, some of us were kicked out of our family of origin, so we were told very clearly we don't belong. Um, and so it's we have this ideal, you know, this kind of blood is thicker than water mentality sometimes, but that's not that's not often a helpful phrase, nor is that 
always a helpful way to understand uh, where you belong, to whom you belong, and what belonging really looks like. I couldn't figure out how to get that other than just the concept of belonging. So I think your, your intro assignment is helpful. What do I celebrate? What am I you know, critical of? What am I curious about? What role do I play? Yeah, and I think in the, in the self-conversations, would, would I choose this? Family, there's lots of sanguine kinds of bumper sticker kinds of thinking about about family. Family is the place where you always you always be welcome. Well, that doesn't feel that way to a lot of us. To be able to to think about and think through that, what is what is yours? And to change sometimes is it's not healthy to go back to family. Family is not going to welcome you exactly as you are and who you are. Um, that's problematic. Yeah, I was thinking about this because this is interesting. Um, as more people would indicate, they feel they feel like their family is going in a different ideological direction than they are, and I I find there's that kind of squishy place of knowing you know when is your family harming you or or when are they just annoying you know <laughs> or when or when do they just say things that are abhorrent that you don't feel like you have the capacity to call out um and i that's interesting to me that intersection between like when are you actively being harmed and yes like it's it's very fair to go no contact and no relationship um, but when when might you have a calling from the greater good to call out your racist uncle and say, we're not going to let you talk like that anymore. I, kinda, I made mention in the sermon that um, there's this tendency to, to push things under the rug. Mm. There's a table, and when we, we find ourselves being complicit in letting truth be shoved under the table so that we're living this other kind of higher um, higher reality, something we consider. Uh, there, was, there was a joke on siblings in my family um, whenever we got together we start going yeah remember remember all those good days remember when we used to go camping together as a family and we just you know play great games together have great conversation none of that ever happened um, but we we kind of played this played mm-hmm. up this this kind of ideal reality because what the real reality really was is that an awful lot of stuff just got pushed under the table we did not talk about um, my father's alcoholism or his violence did not talk about the realities of how far we apart we were as siblings, and and that's not to anybody's benefit. Yeah, it is. It's hard to be, um, I think, prescriptive in that sense because at some level, uh, I would imagine you and your siblings and others that are in the same place, frankly, just had to survive. Sure. And so, you know, sometimes you knew what bringing something up would mean or uh, what the outcomes would be or consequences, but then there's the reckoning with it at another point. It's just all of these, all of these family intricacies of uh, where, where do we have this boundary between self and this family unit are hard and how much do we allow in and, you know, uh, how different do you want to be and it's just these stories in scripture, you know, I say this every single week, 
they highlight this so beautifully. They are not high-minded theology. (laughs) They're often very confusing stories of very complex humans, which um, at this point really resonates, I think, with where a lot of us are at coming out of this global pandemic, if you can call it that, and trying to take stock of what really matters to us, what we want our lives to be like, who we want in our lives, what we're willing to put up with from those people, and what we're not. In the the Joseph cycle, uh, I was mentioning this morning in staff that it's it's the longest continuous cycle in scripture. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's an interesting thing because we have the stories going on in the family, and that's what we're concentrating on. But there are sub-stories, too, that, that we need to take account of in our, in our own lives. Like, who are, the, who are the people around us who are struggling or suffering because of our shenanigans? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in Joseph, there was all kinds of slavery going on. And Joseph's welcoming his, his father and his siblings back into the uh, gold chariot and all of this stuff. That's all being done at the cost of others in, in a time of drought um, famine. And, mm-hmm. um, and Joseph says, that's okay, I'm going to take care of you. Well, that's out of his power. So, uh, you know, I think that part of our, of our conversation about the family is, is our, what we consider to be our nuclear family. But then around us, there are folks who are dealing with our stuff as well. You know, as, as we yeah. And sometimes that might not be readily apparent or even um, super explicit. Yeah. Yeah, we might not even take stock of the ways in which. Because sometimes it's just, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Sometimes it's just hard enough to take stock of of ourselves and our families. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, you had a communion Sunday, so this was a a shorter message for you, but you you filled it up (laughs) with lots of things for us to think about. what made you, I think I know why, because I appreciated it, but what made you go through kind of the retelling of the lineage in the beginning? Um, I wanted, I wanted for one, because we, we kind of picked up on this, uh, we've been through this and this and this in the series, and I wanted to do it particularly as a matter of lineage to understand that this family just didn't come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. This, this was a product of generations. Um, and that it was not going to stop with this story. It's going to go on generationally beyond, beyond that. But, but the decisions that are made in every generation comes back uh, again to, to either bless or haunt somebody a generation ago. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like there's been more cultural conversation about that too, about generational trauma and how we're understanding that that trauma affects us even on a cellular level and that we carry carry it on to future generations and um the wisdom of these ancient peoples kind of writing that down and talking about it so succinctly um i'm just i'm consistently amazed whenever i go through these stories thinking through how um, there was no need to laud or protect these patriarchs um from their own stories like that wasn't the point of the story like we have this deification i think sometimes Um, You know, we see this today with political figures or whoever, like they can't, uh, they're not allowed to have any nuance. They must just be perfect. (laughs) And I think it's so beautiful to look at these patriarchs, all of whom, you know, are, I I don't seem like they'd make great 
spouses or partners or maybe parents in some ways, really complex figures. And in that sense, perhaps very relatable, um, not just the telling of the stories in you know, these beautifully nuanced ways. All right, Barry, is there rabbit holes you went down that you didn't get to talk about? Are there uh, things you wish you did differently? I would have I would have spent uh, more time talking about some of the different types, personality types, and family systems, and how they engage. Some of it is age and a pecking order within the family, but not exclusively. I mean, I would have liked to talk more about those things, but there's not time to do that in sermon, particularly not not in a sermon where um, you know we've got a communion Sunday, so. There was a time factor, but I one of the things that I appreciated is this was um, I went back I, as I always do I go back and look at what I had preached on other texts before and came upon a, a piece that I did with uh, Dr. Uh, Jim Lewis um, many years ago and um, so I wanted to pull some of that up, but it was more it was more than I wanted to do for the sermon so planted seeds. Yeah, and folks can reach out. Um, if they want to know more, there's a few, I have a, I'm sure you do too, have a few pretty easy to read resources if someone wants to start with this work um, that are helpful. And it's mostly just, you know, you start with you. Yeah. <laughs> family systems isn't like, hey, how's everyone else in your family horrible? <laughs> yeah. we, have a, we have a few therapists related to the congregation. Maybe we'll see if they'd be willing to do an introductory family systems <sighs> class. At some point. That would be really fun. Wonderful. I'm all about fun. Well, uh, next week, we get to welcome back Reverend Jenna Bawaggy to his home congregation, uh, Chapel Hill. You all supported him through seminary, and this has been the primary uh, place of discerning, uh, further discerning that calling is a little bit of a faith home. So we're excited to welcome him back and celebrate his ordination. And he's going to be doing the, uh, the next section of this with the reconciliation between Joseph and his uh, brothers. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned for that. We'll see you next week.